Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today I have the great honor of interviewing Eric Francis, who is the author of Deconstructing Death of Knowledge with Solution Tree. And now that's a good question with ASCD. With Maverick Education, he provides professional development, guidance, and support on how to develop and deliver teaching and learning experiences that are academically rigorous, socially and emotionally supportive, and student responsive. Eric M. Francis, who are you? <laughs> who am I? Well, um, first and foremost, I'm a, a dad. I uh, have uh, three great daughters, um, and uh, that's kind of who I am as a person. It's kind of how I really take my pride as being. Um, I'm, as you said, an author, an educator, presenter, and a professional development provider. I've been uh, actually doing what I've been doing with Maverick Education. That's my company, um, spelled M-A-V-E-R-I-K, no C in Maverick. If you go to my webpage, mavericheducation.com, put a C in it, you'll go to India. Yeah, somebody <laughs> got my uh, my URL address. I've been doing this actually now for 11 years, which is really interesting because um, it's about the same amount of time I was in the classroom. I started off as a classroom teacher. I was a middle school and high school teacher. I was a site administrator. I worked for the Department of Education in Arizona. And in 2012, that's when I started on this venture. Um, I guess the best thing about who I am is um, I'm an educator and a learner at heart. You know, I, I love to teach and most importantly, I love to learn. And, and that's something that I realize, you know, and through my professional development that I do, I'm not just teaching teachers, they're teaching me as well. I'm learning from those as well. And uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, who I am in a nutshell. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So um, walk us through that professional trajectory. How come you became a teacher? How come you end up saying you know what, I'm going to dedicate my life to provide professional development. Well, you know, education was not, I was not intending to become an educator. I wasn't one of those people who like knew they wanted to be a teacher ever since they were a kid. Uh, it's, that was actually a second career for me. Um, I, I wanted to be in the film industry and I did work in the film industry before I got into education. Um, I, I got my master's degree in film and television production from Syracuse University at the Newhouse School of Public uh, Communications. And uh, about a couple of weeks after I graduated my master's, I moved to L.A., uh, got my first job three weeks later working in a talent agency, working in a mailroom, because um, that's how you, you go. And I made mm -hmm. less than working in the mailroom in a talent agency than I did my first year of teaching, which says something. Uh, then I worked for a very uh, well-known producer. Um, and that was a great experience for a couple of years. But, uh, you know, I, I was in L.A. I went to New York. I just didn't like being in the film industry. Um, it was right before this is way before you know, TMZ and everything. So everything mm -hmm. was so public and with cameras. It, it, it is not a great industry to in terms of social emotionally, um, uh, you know, in terms of what, what happens to you there. So I moved to Arizona. My, my folks retired out here. Twenty five years old. Second career. Uh, what do I want to do? I enjoyed working with kids. I worked at summer camps. Um, I love, you know, being on a stage, which is kind of what teaching allows you to do, not a sage on the stage. But um, that's when I started my career, about 25, 26, started teaching. 
Um, then uh, I got into administration and, you know, that was kind of an interesting experience. Um, it, it really says something that we need mentors uh, when you start administ and being an administrator. I mean, I was thrown into an assistant principal position with no mentoring whatsoever. So mm. everything was asking for forgiveness, um, but having it held against me for every mis rookie mistake I made. Um, then I went again to the state departments where I really learned about um, finance, policy, gave you a different perception because, you know, when you, when you work in education, you look up at your district office and you're like, wow, you guys must know every, and then now you're looking down and you're just like, wait a minute, you guys don't know that, you know? And it was really interesting. And again, 2012, I decided, you know, to go break out on my own. A lot of people said, do this thing called consulting, which was completely foreign to me. Um, and I've been blessed to do it for 11 years now. Um, and, and really, I became the instructional leader I always wanted to be, you know, going into administration, a lot of that was wanting to be an instructional leader, but, you know, tell you the truth, Afrin, and a lot of it was because when I was a teacher, my wife's a teacher too, we weren't making ends meet and we both talked, we both got our masters to be administrators. We decided I was going to go and I felt like I was anything but, and to tell you the truth, the great thing about that experience is considered to be one of my um, lack of successes. I don't call it failure because failure is when we don't. Mm -hmm. But if I was not, if I was not um, unsuccessful, which is interesting to say, as an administrator, I don't think I would be on this pathway that I am now. Um, and I'm very blessed to have it. I'm very blessed to be able to do what I do, um, to continue to what I do for 11 years. And uh -huh. You know, through COVID, through um, even, you know, personal things. My, I mean, I, I went full time doing Maverick education. I had an anchor job before I did this, working at a charter school here locally in Arizona. And then my dad died like a month after I went full time. So he never got to see this, you know, become whatever it is. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of like fuels me a little bit because one of the worst things I think that could happen to me in life, I always said was other than my something happened to one of my daughters. Um, is my, my father dying. He was my best friend and he did. And I got through it and I lived through it and I came through it and my gosh, uh, you know, it made me a stronger person. And I really credit a lot of that experience to being, being able to do what I do. Um, having survived through COVID where my, my, my business, which was the Titanic hit at that iceberg, um, and, and, you know, I don't know if that was a, that was a long story around how you got it, but it was just like, you know, I think a lot of the personal experiences I've had with it um, really helped shape me who I am, what I do um, and why I do. I think that's the big thing. It's who and why I do. That's that's my big takeaway about that. Beautiful. Let's let's deconstruct that uh, that story. So when uh, what will be your most memorable experience as a teacher? most memorable experience as a teacher you know i can't i don't know it, it's hard to narrow it down one i mean i've had so many successes as a teacher and even lessons learned as a teacher um i think just really you know i have this one student that i think of um i used to coach academic decathlon and uh this student in my class, he got, um, he was, he, he didn't do well. Um, his first and second year, he got all F's 
And it's not because of his academic acumen. It was because of social, emotional issues. And I told him, I said, you know, dude, you're, you're brilliant. Just do the work, man. And you'll just, you'll get, you'll pass. And it, it, it kind of clicked. It's that, you know, that was the secret of school. And I told him that was my secret in school. You know, if I just did the work, um, got B's because I wasn't, you know, sadly, I don't think, you know, my teachers, I can count probably on one hand how many teachers really influenced me. Um, but I just realized that school is about just do the work, get through, man, and get it, get your degree and then go do great things. And I told him that and he passed and he got stellar grades. He, he, he all of a sudden went from being an F student because of zeros to A's. And I got him on my academic decathlon team. And what academic decathlon does is you have nine kids competing and you have three um, for each group by threes. So the first three are your 4.0 kids. The second three are your 3.0 kids. And your third is your 2.9s and below, um, which really honors a lot of the gifted kids because we know a lot of gifted kids are underperforming. And this kid was was brilliant. He was gifted and talented. Um, so I got him on the team. And he was like, always like, my, my, my sweeper in baseball, like that guy would just knock out a park. I mean, so much like his name became legend. And he, he, the problem was, was that he came back the next year, but his grades were so well, I had to boot him up to the B team, not to, not to see him below. Um, and he graduated, he got a, a scholarship to Northern Arizona University, and now he's a doctor. So, you know, and that's just one of many. And that's what just like pops in my head right now. Um, but I think there's also kids I think about, about, you know, I was not successful with, or things I even did as a teacher, like, why did I hang my hat on that? You know, why, why did I die on that sword? You know, why, why was it important for me that they write their name and the heading of the paper, um, in the proper format? Uh, you know, I think I think, you know, that that's the thing that stands out to me really success. But I think a lot of it also makes me shape as a teacher. Um, and I think also being a professional development person, which you know we can get into, because sometimes people say about that is that when you provide in PD, um, when was the last time you were in the classroom? And it's been a while. I'll admit it. But sometimes when you're not in the classroom and you can see things from the outside and you can kind of reflect and say, you know what? Maybe that's not the sword I need to die on. Um, I, I, I compare it to being like a soldier. You know, when mm -hmm. a soldier is on the battlefield, you know, you got all these explosions are all going around you. It's very hard to tap into your training when you, you, got, you all of a sudden get into that, oh, my gosh, that, 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 you know, survival mode. But then you got that person back at the Pentagon who's kind of maneuvering everything or the general who's been on the battlefield, which I think I like to say I have as a teacher. Um, and, and it can kind of see things at a bigger scale. And I think that's one of the things my experience as an educator did. It made me see things as a, as a greater scale, um, learning from those experiences, even as a professional development provider. Look, I'll admit, I don't reach everybody. You know, there's, there's, I mean, doing PD is kind of like teaching your class. You know, not everyone's going to like you and not everyone's going to like what you're teaching, but I learned from those people too. And I think that's what made me just a better teacher overall, not even just as a, of students, but also a professional development person. Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to understand how a, a professional development specialist is built through time. So 
can you tell us uh, what was one or two lessons that you learned uh, when you, uh, like many of us, you are thrown into an AP position and mm -hmm. you come with all these ideas on what it should be and then you realize that things are, are, are quite daunting. Uh, what can we learn from you? Um, hmm. I think the biggest thing is that this is not a solution. This is not an escape if you don't like your job. Um, and I think that's a big thing. One of the big things to learn from that is that this is not what's your why, why you want to do it. Uh, that's that's the big thing. Why do you want to do what it is you're doing professional development? I think the other big thing is, is that you can't come in and do the same thing with every school. I mean, my philosophy of professional development is that why do we differentiate instruction, but we don't differentiate professional development? Um, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's 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 a challenge because the hard thing is you have to change every time you go to a new school. You know, every time when if I came to your school, what I would do with your school. It, it may be the same slides, but the presentation would be different and geared towards what it is that your school needs. I think the biggest lesson you have to learn is that it's not about you. It's about what you do. Okay. Um, and, and I think that's kind of a thing that some of us kind of lose sight on that. It's not Eric Francis. It's, I'm providing um, knowledge and ideas around depth of knowledge, questioning, rigor. It, it's not that like, you know, like my name or anything. And I think some some of us, I'm going to be honest with you, Efren, I think some of us have kind of lost that where we, this we've established this identity. And it's almost that we talk about what we do in professional development as a a brand. I'm not a brand. I'm Eric Francis. I'm... Maverick Education is the brand, and maybe that's the reason why I kind of didn't name it, you know, Eric Francis Consulting or whatever. But you got to kind of think of it like when you're a superhero, you know, when 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 Peter Parker takes puts on the mask, he's Spider-Man. And that's that persona. It is a part of him, but people see that. But when he takes off the mask, now he's Peter Parker. And even underneath the mask, he's Peter Parker. I think that's the biggest thing is that doing this thing with professional development, you got to really ask why, because you see a lot of the lucrative stuff we do. You see, you know, we're presenting at conferences. Well, you didn't see that. That was one acceptance after nine rejections from another place that you want to go and present. You know, you, you see that we, we travel everywhere. Well, you didn't see that we got stuck in an airport for six hours Uh, because our plane was delayed. Or, you know, you, you can see on Facebook, there's a bunch of us who talk about their flights being canceled and we have to drive, you know, two, three hours or, you know, because and we have a keynote the next day or something. Um, and I think also you have to really understand what you want to do in this professional development world. There are keynoters and there's professional development providers and supporters. When you keynote, it's like a show. And what I've keynoted and what I feel like sometimes when I keynote, I'm more focused on is my audience laughing at my jokes than learning 
what it is that I have to present. And that's a lot of stress on me. It's like, For and sure. I'll make that, I'll make that joke. I'll say like, you know, I'll be very transparent and say, look, I'm more of a workshop person. I do keynotes. I can keynote, but when I'm keynoting, um, I'm more, fo- it seems like I'm more focused on whether you're laughing at the jokes I will tell you. Just like right now, you didn't laugh at that. Great. Okay. Moving on. You know, I mean, that's the thing. And you got to know who you are and what you want to do. And it's not what you do and what, you know, it's, it's more so what you're bringing and don't go in as a savior, go in as a problem solver. You know, I think that's the biggest thing and really understand why you want to get into it. It is not easy and, and I'm not complaining about it, but it's work. You know, you wake up every morning, you don't have a job. So you got to have that mindset either a, I got to go get a job. B, I got to go work with some people that I already have. Or C, I got to go create a job. And 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 that is a lot of things because it's easy to wake up and and sit and, and and binge watch Ted Lasso, or you know The Mandalorian or whatever you know is on Netflix at that time. But you have to really be focused and have a mindset with it. Um, I kind of compare it to. Um, over my 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 uh, my journeys with what I've done is like I've I've met professional wrestlers in in airports, and they're on the road 350 days a year. There's a thing that they call in pro wrestling 350 days, and you get there and you see them in the ring, you see them on the show, but you don't see that they had to fly into this place and then get on to rent the car and get there, and then you get to a hotel, and sometimes there's no restaurants open. And if you're lucky, they got a decent gym in the hotel where, you know, you can get a quick workout in and and because you got to, you know, if you eat on the road, you know, all you eat is restaurants and everything. So just have me really honest. I'm going to give you an honest perspective of it. Number one, why is it what you're doing? And number two, who do you want to be in this realm? Um, I, I I used to get very envious. I still do a little bit about some people. Like I see they get this opportunity, get this opportunity, they're keynoting and stuff like that. Great. But what is that really about? You know, and you have to really reflect upon yourself. Like, what is it you really want this? I don't want to be Eric Francis. It used to be. I mean, I'll admit to you, in 11 years, you used to be like, Eric Francis, ooh, I want that name. And man, it's such a thrill when people come up and go, oh, you're Eric Francis. And you're like, you know, people want your autograph and stuff like that. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, what is it you really want to do? And it's really funny. Um, Paula Maker and I, uh, she's a friend of mine, colleague, Solution Tree. Her book just came out, uh, Literacy uh, in a PLC. If I got that title wrong, Paula, I apologize. You know, we were talking about this. And you have to ask yourself, would you do what you're doing for free? And we both actually said in that conversation, the same time, it was really funny. It was like, yes, because it's about the relationship. It's not about, that's the reward, not the money. You can make a lot of money at this. But the reward is the relationship. And you have to really think about whether you're serving others or do you get to a point where you're just serving yourself? Wow. So profound. Eric, uh, <laughs> I, I, at some point. I'm five point, in the morning in Arizona. And, and it's wow. <laughs> you see, there's something about the morning, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Robin Sharma says, own your mon- morning, elevate your life. That's right. Um, that's right. Eric, at some point you decide to come up with Maverick Education and consulting. And I see it as as a stage is open and all of a sudden 
you might not be ready for what to face. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for people who are working in schools or um, state departments who decide to go into this world? What are two or three lessons that you can share with us uh, so people uh, perhaps don't go through the same roadblocks that you went through? Wade into the water. Don't dive in. Okay. Um, don't quit your J job. Um, when I did this, I did not all of a sudden say, boom, I'm going into consulting full time. I was working at the State Department here in Arizona, State Department of Education. I got to a ceiling. Someone my, I, someone put some bugs in my ear. You should go out and consult because I was what's called a Title One specialist. And I was doing compliance check and helping. I created a training program here in Arizona that taught uh, new charter schools how to implement a, um, a Title One program. And they started as target assistants and then they went school wide. And then I said, look, let's do this for everybody. And then we came up with a policy that was called Y3, where you talk about how to uh, blend your funds and, and funds, excuse me. And then you know, someone put that bug in my ear. And then at the same time, I had a local charter group out here, uh, charter management organization said, will you come work for us? And I said, I'll come work for you if I can consult on the side. And I was fortunate it went like this. So don't dive in. That's rule number one. Don't quit your day job. Rule number two, apply to every conference that you can. Okay. That's where people will see you. That's where mm -hmm. people will know you. I got my start presenting at conferences. Um, I presented here locally in Arizona. Um, I had the opportunity to present when I was working at ADE, so people knew I was. But I would just, and I still do to this day, I put my name in almost, I, I Google search education conferences, call for proposals, call for presenters, 2022, 2023. Um, I apply, I present. I go anywhere. Um, I'll present at any conference that, you know, I feel that I can do things. Um, the great thing is, is that when you're an educator and you're at a school, this is how you also can get your professional development hours. Now with me, I have to some, this is sometimes what people don't realize about the conferences. They make you pay at pay to play. So when you're presenting, like when you see me at a conference, I may have had to pay the conference rate to present there. So it's not like it's free. And, and yeah. there's ways you can kind of talk around that as well. Like what I do now is I say, Hey, I'm flying out here. It's costing me this amount of money. Like I, sometimes I fly across the country to do a conference. If I give you a book to raffle off or a couple of books to raffle off, can I just present? Yeah, sure. And then people, hopefully people are nice about that. So present at every conference you can, um, not just national, but also state and local. And choose the ones where, you know, decision makers will be there or teams will be there. Well, they'll come back to you, Efren, and they'll go like your teachers will say, hey, I just saw Eric Francis. We got to bring this guy in. And you're this administrator goes, who's Eric Francis, you know, or something like that. And then we set up Zoom meetings like that. Number three, um, play your own music and put a different spin on it. There's a lot of. Uh, you know, be original with what you do. Put a different spin on it. Nothing is invented, but everything is innovated. Look, I did this questioning thing. It was something I did when I was a teacher. And then I found out, oh, there's actually a name to this called essential questions. And 
the reason why I wrote now that's a good question is, is because the definition of now of what an essential question was, was very broad, vague, interpreted different ways. Um, so I said, okay, I'm just gonna call them good questions. So that's kind of why I came out with that. Depth of knowledge is not mine. It's, it's Norman Webb. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw out there that there was a lot of misinterpretation and miscommunication and a lot of things that were about DOK is inaccurate. So at first it was, okay, let me explain to you why DOK is inaccurate, but now let me see what I can do with DOK. So I turned it into a method of model for teaching and learning. I turned to an RTI and you can take things that exist and just put a different spin on it. I mean, Marzano's taxonomy is a different spin than blue taxonomy. Um, you know, uh, there how many different teacher evaluation systems are out there? You got Marzano, you got Charles Danielson, you know, or, you know, how many times is PLC, someone tries to make a different spin on PLC, though I still stand by the original four questions by the DeFores. Um, that, that's the simplest way to do it. So, but but put your spin on it and honor who influenced you because that's the, that's the other thing. The third thing you also got to remember we're in this together. This is not a competition. Okay. You shouldn't have to choose questioning with me versus questioning with someone else. Um, and in fact, it should be more, so much a competition it should be a collaboration. I've always pushed one of my publishing companies, I'll say ASCD, you know, you got a bunch of people who've written books on questions. Why aren't you making a questioning summit? Mm. You know, or, you know, how can we collaborate? And I think sometimes, Efren, that's the hard part because I, I want to collaborate. Look, my philosophy is, you know, Iron Man and Captain America are great by themselves, but when they're the Avengers, they're epic, Amen. you know? And if someone comes to you and says, hey, man, I want to collaborate with you, don't push them off. I've had that. I've had people like, you know, they've had certain things like, you know, they've had certain groups and everything. I'm like, man, I would love to be a part of this. And it's almost even, even sometimes I have like, yeah, come on in, you know, open, open arms. Or sometimes you get the kind of blow off where you're just like, oh, well, I think we're good right now. Or, you know, OK, well, you have to surrender everything you do to be a part of this group. You know, no. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, every, if you said to me, hey, Eric, I want to collaborate with you. Awesome. Great. I would love to be on this journey with somebody, you know, or I want to collaborate with you. I'm like, well, OK, Efren, I'm not really sure what we could do together, but let's try to figure out what's your wheelhouse. What's my wheelhouse. Okay. Let's do this. Okay. You know what, what can I do to support you? What can I do to put you out there? I mean, I'm always name dropping and it's not because I know these people. It's because they do great work. And, and that's the thing. So I think the three thing is number one, don't quit your J job. Okay. Number two, um, put your own spin on it. Okay. And you do great things in your classroom, but don't believe your own hype. Don't believe your own press. Okay. And number three, be willing to collaborate, be willing to be open, be willing to like inviting, Hey, I would love to work with you. And, and, and when you get to that point, be accepting, be, be open to it. That that's the big thing about it. Um, And number four, you know, write a book. I mean, everyone's got a book now. It's not a, it's not an idea. I mean, like everyone you talk to, like, oh, I got a book with this person. I got a book. There's so many different opportunities to write a book. Some people are publishing, you know, you can publish with the big ones like Corwin and ASCD and Solution Tree, but then you got 
you know, the more, you know, small, the smaller houses, you know, some people are just going on Amazon and put it out there and they're marketing the hell out of it. Great. Sorry. But, you know, it's, but it's just, uh, you know, that's the thing. Figure out what you're, figure out who you are and figure out where you are. Why do you want to be in this space? And one of the books I really recommend is uh, reading with uh, start you with why find with what find, find, find your why. Um, that really helped me a lot. That helped me a lot during the pandemic, starting with the golden circle. And I actually do a PD on this. It's, it's kind of a, a social emotional thing where I say, um, find your why and with a superhero analogy. So using Simon Sinek's golden circle, if, if you, if you've heard of that, right? The whole, yes. yeah. So people usually do, we start with the outer circle. What do we do? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Okay. This asks, why do we do it? How do we do it? What do we do? When I do this PD, the golden circle, I say, as a superhero analogy, why are you putting on the cape and cow? So every superhero has a motto. Like Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Wolverine, I'm the best at what I do, but what I do is not very nice. Okay? That are, you know, Batman, I am the knight. Superman, I fight for truth and justice. So what I do with it, I tell people, I say, finish this statement. To blank, so that blank. Say, mm. so, so I will say to um, challenge thinking so that people appreciate um, the joy of learning, okay, or the rigor of learning or the joy of rigor. That's kind of my thing. That's my why. That's why yeah. I put up the cape in my cow, okay? How do I do it? Now, how do you do it? What do you, how do you, how do you live your why? How, how do you, how are you fighting, you know, the battles? How are you fighting the crime of ignorance or crime of lack of education? You know, think about Batman. He has utility belts. He has Batmobiles. Spider-Man has web slingers and stuff. Iron Man has those armors. Okay. So why? That's your, that's your mantra, your purpose. How? What are your tools? What are your talents? What are your gifts? And then you get to the what. And that's basically where you can say, like your Batman, you can say, I'm Eric Francis. Or you can put on your Finney gauntlet and go, and I am Maverick Education. Snap your fingers. Okay. So that helped me a lot during the pandemic to figure out who I am and why I am during this whole thing. That's what I'd also recommend to people. Read, start with why and find your why by Simon Sinek. Wow, masterclass. Thank you so much, Eric. Uh, let's take a, a, a momentary pause to recognize the Teach Better community. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So Eric, uh, looking back in your in your career, like in Back to the Future, if you could go back mm -hmm. at any moment in your past, and what would the Eric of today tell the Eric of back then? Hmm. What seems like will be hard right now is going to help you in the future. Okay, embrace the hard. Um, you know, um, that, that's the thing I would probably really say, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people who've had hard childhoods. I can't say my childhood was hard, um, or, you know, traumatic to the level of some people, but, um, it's kind of interesting, Efren, because there's all these things out there now about diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
And, and I actually do a, a keynote on this where I actually challenge people where I say, when you look at my face, what do you see? And, and people will look and they'll see. And I'm like, not how I present myself, but what do you see? They'll see my color, my skin. They'll see my gender. They'll see, you know, my, um, you know, it's maybe some people can pick up on the fact that, you know, my, my sexuality or whatever. But though I say that, do you see that I'm the son of a, of a man who lost his legs in a car accident? I don't know what it's like to have a dad who had legs. Do you see I have a um, brother with special needs? Do you see that I'm a child of divorce? Do you see that I grew up in a mixed faith family? Well, my father was Jewish. My dad, my mom was Catholic. I like to make the joke to say, you know, when it comes to guilt, I don't know whether to feel it or impose it. Uh, you know, my uh, my siblings are interracial. Uh, my daughter is high performing autism. Um, I, you know, when people talk about, you know, to me, what, what do you know about diversity and equity and inclusion? I like to say, come on over for dinner Sunday. I'll show you what it's like in, in, in my family. Cause my whole family where, I mean, we, I, my, my dad passed away. I said, we are that family. And I think that's a lot of also kind of the core with it, because when I was younger, I grew up in the eighties. And the 80s was a very homogenous, conservative time. You know, we didn't we didn't put our problems out there. Don't don't share what's going on with you, with others. Don't share what's going on in the house. Keep it in the family. Keep it in the house. You know, now kids, they come to school. I mean, it's almost like, you know, Boy Scout or Girl Scout badges on the thing. I, I'm this, this. And that's great. And I think that's the great thing about this generation is that we are more sensitive and empathetic to people's differences. Um, I think the harder part is the adults where we grew up in the, in the seventies and the eighties and the sixties um, where we, we, we shun difference. And that's what I felt like when I was in the eighties as a kid. I mean, my gosh, these kids all looked at me like, what's with you? you you're so freakish. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in a generation where SEL in third grade and my teacher, I don't forget did this. They said, how many kids parents here are divorced? Four kids raised their hand and in the spring. I had to raise my hand as number five, you know, I mean, you know, out of, out of a 30 cast. Now it's opposite on that. So I think that's, that's the big thing I would tell myself. And that's the thing that's funny. I was talking about someone like said, like if anyone, if I go back in time, I said, I wish my experiences, I embrace them instead of running away from them. And that really has created a mantra I have where I know a lot of people say it is what it is. I hate that phrase. Because then what you're doing is I say, well, you're, you're accepting the suck. And if you accept the suck, then I don't want you to complain about the suck. It is what you make it. Okay. Tragedy is temporary. Okay. And you can decide whether your story ends as a Shakespearean tragedy or Shakespearean comedy. And if people go like this, they go, yeah, but you don't know what this person does. You don't understand. And I said, oh, gosh, it's traumatic. Okay. I get it. And everybody's trauma is different. You know, one person's trauma cannot be compared against another person's trauma. It's like comparing apples against apples. You know, you got a red Macintosh, you got a delicious, you got a granny apple. They're all apples, but they're different. And you can't say like, you know, one is, you know, this, that, or the other thing. That's why I always say, why I said to you here today, who are you and why are you? Okay. I am who I am. There's a reason why I stand like Superman. Everyone makes, you know, they like to joke like, Eric, you stand with your chest tall out and you stand, you know, like this and everything. You know, I stand like I have a superhero emblem on my, my chest. That's because a man with no legs taught me how to stand. 
Okay. And, and, you know, it, it's also a challenge for me right now because my father did not want to be seen as somebody who was um, handicapped. He didn't want me to look at him and go, that's my disabled father. He wanted me to say, that's my father. Okay. He didn't want me to look at my brothers who are interracial and say, those are your black brothers and sisters. They're your brothers and sisters. Okay. And they taught me to say, if that's what they, how they identify, they communicate that to you. So I look at you, Efren, I say, you're Efren. And you, I say, okay, so how do you, you know, how do you identify? Who are you and why are you? You might say to me, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. And you can't jump to that conclusion. I mean, your last name is Martinez. Okay, am I going to jump to a conclusion that you're Hispanic? No. What if, you know, it's something else? Or jump to a conclusion that you're from this domain when it comes to, you know, your Latino heritage? No, I want you to tell me. So I can say, okay, Efren, you are... And that's that's how I communicate. I come to you like that. Like I see you as Efren. And in this kind of climate, that's been kind of hard, especially for someone with me who's grown up with diversity and who grew up with someone who said, I don't want you to see me as your father with who's a double amputee. I'm your father. Yes, I am disabled. I understand that. I realize that. I know you recognize that, but I just want you to see me as this person. I want you to see your sit. And my siblings get mad at me because they're like, don't use me to push that. You know, okay. <laughs> don't I, I'm, I'm your sister. I'm your brothers. No, don't push that to give you validation or justification, or even to prove to someone that you understand. I just want you to see me for me. And I say, who are you? And then they tell me, and then I'll say, okay, is part of your race a part of your identity? Yeah, it is, but it's not my driver, you know, or, you know, my dad, yeah, I'm disabled, but that doesn't, you know, it's, it's my, 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 I, it's not part of, you know, how my, it's not my why that's the big thing. So, so I think, you know, I know I went kind of a roundabout conversation with that, but that's what I would tell my, 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 myself as I was younger, you know, the hard will be your lessons, you know, live through the hard. Um, and learn these three things. It is what you make of it. Tragedy is temporary, and you can decide how your story ends because you are in control. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's why I'm going to tell my kids today, embrace the heart. I think mm -hmm. that, uh, that is very well said. Uh, so, uh, Eric, uh, as we learn more about your, your wisdom, uh, <laughs> as, you, as you know, reading books is such a luxury. Mm -hmm. If you have to gift two books, one fiction and one nonfiction, which books would those be? Hmm. Hmm. It's a good question. Nonfiction. Well, I said the Simon Sinek books. Um, I can tell you one thing that really taught me a lot for nonfiction well, as a leader was um, um, the One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. Um, really taught me how to deal with people. Really taught me, I mean, all these leadership books, you know, but really learning how to deal with people. Um, probably the biggest takeaway was he describes four different people. You know, there's people you can say, you got to do this. And this person goes, I'm on it. And then you got people who say, you got to do this. And you got to start with this. And you got to do this. And you got to do this. And this is what I want to see. And that I'm on it. Okay. Then you got people who go, you can do this. It's going to be hard, but I'm here with you. And then you got people who are like, so you're doing it, right? 
So if I check on you, you you're going to do this, right? I'm telling you that really shaped me as a leader. So that, I mean, I think a lot of, cause a lot of stuff I read now is more nonfiction than, than fiction. Um, another thing that really has impacted me greatly is, and you, people are going to laugh. I, I audio taped, I had, I had an audible of um, green lights by Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. And I've always yeah, been fascinated by, you know, this guy's attitude. You know, I wish, you know, I mean, for so many different reasons, if you can wish you can be anyone else, not just only for physical, but also, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'll say to my wife, like, man, I wish I was like Matthew McConaughey. And she was, yeah, so do I, you know, so, but, <laughs> you know, so it's like the whole thing, like his philosophy and he actually has something he's doing. Um, I think he's working with, you know, this, this is his philosophy, this mantra. And I've been trying to be that, like, how can I, you know, have that kind of swagger like McConaughey, you know, and, all right, all right, all right. You know, kind of have that laid back because that that I w- that that's another great book. Um, not fiction. Wow, fiction. You know, I, I go back to the classics. I mean, there's things for entertainment, and like you know, I I, I don't want to like sound like you know like um, it's kind of funny because you want to sound like you're you know intellectual, but man, I love the James Patterson novels, those airport reads, you know, <laughs> cross books. Um, but man, I go back and read the classics, and this is why there was an English teacher. I'm like, okay, so how does this relate today? Um, and I love like actually reading the classics. Like I love reading, you know, and it's not how I spend my free time, you know, reading, you know, I'm reading Scarlet Letter, or reading Huckleberry Finn, or stuff like that, or Great Gatsby. But you know, going back and just really taking away, like one of the things I love is, you know, how can I make that and apply that to the real world, and how can I teach other kids? Like when I taught the Scarlet Letter. I taught them, I asked them the question, I said, um, how does a Scarlet Letter address the theme of guilt, stereotypically, socially, religiously, and psychologically through the four main characters? And then I asked them, why is the modern day Scarlet Letter TMZ? What are the similarities between Hester Prynne and Kim Kardashian? And how is that an American philosophy and ideal? And what they realized was that the Scarlet Letter is all about someone who took a scandal and took control of their scandal to where people forgot what the scandal was. They forgot what the A meant. They forgot it meant adulterous, and they thought the A meant able. Kind of like what Kim Kardashian did. She had a scandalous life, scandalous her origins, but now look at what she's created for herself. And the way that's basically is an American ideal and philosophy, my kids realized, is that, wow, I can take my mistakes and turn them into something better. That, you know, don't hold me against me for my mistakes. Look at how I learned from my lesson. Um, reading Huckleberry Finn, you know, really understanding is, you know, that book has been try to people try to ban it since the day, this day was published you know as a language and like i used to teach my kids I said, why is huckleberry finn so controversial and why should it be banned and and they would say because it's racist i go well do you see how it's illiterate no okay well that's why first reason do you see how it um supports juvenile delinquency or advocates for it no okay do you see how it's anti-feminist no okay well these are all the arguments as long as well so the arguments for banning huckleberry finn and are those arguments valid or invalid? See how I'm giving it and I'm teaching it that way. And that's the thing. The other thing is the Great Gatsby. People look at it and they look at the theme of the Great Gatsby. But you look at the Great Gatsby, it is such a statement on the way we live. This guy got so much success and so much wealth. But man, all he wanted to do was have the woman he loved so badly accept him. And that's something, you know, that's a larger theme. I mean, I get that as PED. Man, I got, I got, I got good stuff going on, 
but I'm always focusing on why is that person not accepting me in the conference? Why am I not keynoting? Why am I not? Why can't I just be content? You know, am I doing it for the right reasons? You know, Gatsby, he accrued all that wealth, not because he wanted to, not because he could, because he wanted Daisy to love him. You know, I tell that, you know, to even kids, my, you know, my daughter's age, when they're going through a breakup, it's like, man, you're good enough. You just may not be good enough. And it doesn't matter how much you do, you won't be good enough. And that's okay because that's in their eyes, not in yours. So I would say go back and read, you know, the classics, really take a different, you know, perception of it. And, you know, if you don't want to think, go read a James Patterson novel or go uh, go read a bunch of comic books. That's that's my thing. I mean, I see you got a Chewbacca shirt on. You know, <laughs> I can tell you're a fan, you're 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 a fanboy like me. So you know, like I, I like I, I'm doing a thing now in my fifties where like I'm going back and buying the old graphic novels of the comic books I grew up on and loved. Mm-hmm. You know, the artists I loved like George Perez and John Byrne um, and John Buscema, and, and or are going to find old like you know the Avengers collections from the seventies and the eighties, which is when I really collected and loved it, or the X Men or the Justice Leagues or you know Superman. Sometimes you just want to go and check your brain, and it's really funny because. The, they're actually you have to have, I mean, my gosh, you got to be a scientist to read the Fantastic Four or Iron Man these days and talk yes. about, you know, um, learning language. That's the thing, too. I'm more of a movie guy, probably. Um, so I, I watch a lot of movies, not lately because I don't think that they're good. But like I was talking to someone the other day like, man, you need a thesaurus to go watch a John Wick movie. <laughs> you know, John Wick, Parabellum. Every kid's going into that. You ask a kid, go. So, what does Parabellum mean? Why do they call it? You know, the the, the continental. Why, you know, all these the, the language in there. You're sitting there and go, wow, these are some real serious tier two words. And you got these kids who, you know, they're, they're, whatever social emotional social economic background they are, they're going to see this movie. You know. Just take time, check your brain, but listen to it and learn from it. You know, there's there's so many things. So I know that was a roundabout way. So my nonfiction books are the Simon Sinek books, um, One Minute Manager, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. And my fiction books are go read the classics, take something to do away from them um, or just go, you know, James Patterson novels, Great Airport Reads or, you know, go, uh, you know, go read some comic books. Just go have some fun. Beautiful. You know, I have to ask then, which one is the one movie that you will take with you to an island? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so my three favorite, my four favorites of all time mm-hmm. are the Godfather films. Now, let's talk about a series. The first Jaws, Star Wars, and Rocky. Okay. Mm. I can tell you I'm not taking Jaws to an island because that's going to freak me out from going into the ocean. <laughs> All right. I think I would probably take um, either Star Wars or Rocky because those, uh, a new hope. Okay. Yeah. You know, that that's the thing giving, you know, it, it, it's uplifting. It, 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 you know, makes you, you know, or, or Rocky. You know, here's a guy who's down and out and he gets the opportunity in the world and and just, you know, the the, the great, you know, feeling you get from it, you know, the motivation you get from him. My gosh, if you watch a Rocky movie and then it's also like, all right, wait a minute, I got to go work out. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing or, you know, so I think those the one of those movies I would take probably 
probably um, Star Wars Episode Four, which I'm not sure you're going to like. Seeing your shirt is on there. So, so yeah, I think I would take Star Wars and I would sneak Rocky somehow off the boat. <laughs> awesome. So, um, who is or who are your biggest influences? One is my father, number one. My father, my father, Fred Francis, without a doubt, he is my hero. Um, God broke the mold after they made that guy. Lost his car at legs in a car accident at 20 years old. Um, went on to go and become one of the leaders in the civil rights movement for disabled. In fact, if I recommend this, this documentary, it's called Crip Camp. And it's about the civil rights movement for the disabled that grew out of a summer camp for kids who were born disabled. Um, and they started the civil rights movement in the 1970s. 40 minutes in, you'll see a guy who looks like me with darker curly hair and 1970s mutton chops. He doesn't talk because this is more about people who are born disabled. My dad became disabled. Um, again, the guy was Superman to me. You know, he did things at a time. We see all these people doing all these great sports and great things and amazing things in wheelchairs. My dad, dad did that in 1970s when the wheelchair was not aerodynamic. Um, or, or not made out of fiberglass. It, they were the tanks. They were those big, and he, you know, he did things like he he biked in a marathon. You know, he did his wheelchair in a marathon. Um, that's why I'm actually kind of sensitive. There's this thing about equity. There's a poster out there that says equality is everybody gets a bike, and they show a person in a wheelchair. Equity is everybody gets a bike that fits them. And what they did was they put the person in a wheelchair in a bike where um, they can use their hands instead of their, well, what if the person's, uh, you know, a quadriplegic and can't move from the neck down? And what people don't understand about with wheelchairs, you're, when you take them out of the wheelchair, the wheelchair is part of their identity, is part of who they are. So what you're asking them is to surrender their identity so they can be like everybody else. That's not equity, okay? Equity is allowing people, and my dad taught me that. Equity is not about making it so you're like everybody else. Equity is about making it so you can be who you are and have that opportunity, not that you're surrendering your identity or such. So my father, number one. Um, number two, and this is going to be kind of interesting, Eddie Van Halen. Okay. Uh, you can probably see from the background there, I got you know an Eddie Van Halen Funko Pop. Um, I got his little guitar there. I would love to do a thing, and I'm going to do this eventually, Teach like Eddie Van Halen, okay, mm. where basically you have to realize, you know, the, let's say it this way. This is the analogy I make. The standard is the song that we, all we teachers have to teach, all we teachers need to teach, and all the kids have to play, okay? So if I say it's Eruption by Van Halen, that's the standard. Your kids have to play that, and you have to teach that. Most importantly, you got to believe the kids will eventually play that. Your curriculum is your guitar, okay? So what the analogy I make is that the standards of song, it's eruption. This is what you need to teach. This is what you play. Um, but Fender's going to sell your school district Eddie Van Halen guitars, okay? And if you get these Eddie Van Halen guitars, you should be able to teach eruption and your kids should be able to play eruption. Nah, not necessarily. Replace guitars with your, your curricular package, your, your IXLs or whatever like that. And I just lost their endorsement. But, you know, no, you got to be Eddie Van Halen. You got to be able to play that song on any guitar because your district effing 
they might not be able to afford Eddie Van Halen guitars, but Gibson can come in and say, hey, you can play it on this guitar or you get a knockoff and somebody says, well, these are like Eddie Van Halen guitars, but they're not really Eddie Van Halen guitars. Or they have guitars now where you put like an like a, like a, a padlet on it and you can program it to make the sounds. Okay, great. It can make the sounds, but can it play eruption? Mm-hmm. And it's like a triangle. The standard is your song. The kids in the middle, that's your audience because that's who's supporting you. And over here is your guitar, your curriculum. Over here is your instruction. If you depend upon your curriculum to play the song, triangle falls apart. If you say, forget the song, forget the curriculum, I know Van Halen, or I prefer Sammy Hagar over David Lee Roth, or you know what, Eruption's too hard. I'm going to teach him Cathedral. That's an easier thing. Triangle falls apart. So Eddie Van Halen's my second one. Um, gosh, my third? <laughs> They're not real people. It, it doesn't matter. Okay. And it's 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 going to be, this is going to be interesting. I want to explain this. Superman and Captain America. Ooh, tell me. Okay. Here you got Superman. He has the power of, you know, you know, amazing power. We can say the power of a God. And every day he's tempted. Every day he can give into temptation and take advantage of the power he has. Okay. And he doesn't. All right. And he looks at that optimism. He looks at that. You know, it's very easy to gravitate towards a Batman because Batman's flawed. And we can relate to the flaws and we can relate to I relate to Superman because he not because he's an ideal, but because of the potential of becoming flawed, you know, and that that's his inner fight that every day, you know, there was actually one um, I was like, finally, someone captured it. And it was in a Justice League cartoon where he's pounding the heck out of dark side and he goes you know every day i'm tempted i just want to let loose and then i meet you and i'm grateful because finally i can you know and and he just pounds on and everyone that's why everyone doesn't like man of steel because at the end he ended up killing zod and you're like no that's not superman i mean I, i wasn't bothered by it but you know but that's the thing the other one is is captain america again for that sense of optimism that sense of the great potential, the sense of what people don't really understand. And if you look at from a broader, you know, deeper context, and again, like I said, like the challenge thinking, yeah, this guy has the values of the greatest generation. Okay. The generation that came out of the great depression Mm -hmm. and people call that the greatest generation because they experienced a depression and they lived through a war and they went on to do some of the greatest things. And that's what I look at that basically, you know, that core, that core of heart, um, well, some people may criticize me as like, okay, so you took the most, you know, you know, milk toast, I guess, lack of a better word, but it's easy for me. I mean, when I was younger, I loved Spider-Man because I just want to always put on a mask and just kind of be what I wanted to be. And then you had the Peter Parker part inside of me that was quiet and shy, you know, and, but when I put on that mask, that mask, it, you know, hid my insecurities. Um, but now I really gravitate towards that. And it, it's kind of like a positivity, not a toxic positivity. So, so those are my three, my father, um, my father, because, because the man taught me that, you know, anything is possible, lost his legs, went on to do great things, lived, lived 
a hard life physically, but to the day he died, I mean, even when they took him off life support, his heart was still beating, you know, um, Eddie Van Halen, just because, you know, Eddie Van Halen knew his reputation, but he never, ever bought his own press, you know, that, you know, he just wanted to play music. If you read the biographies on Van Halen, David Lee Roth wanted to be the rock star. Eddie Van Halen just wanted to play music. And in fact, there's a great book called uh, Running with the Devil by Keith Monk, their, their, their tour manager, where it talks about Eddie used to cry. He goes, I just want to go home. Dave wants to be the rock star. I don't want to be the rock star. I just want to make music. That's kind of how I see, like, I don't want to be a rock star. I want to just teach. I want to, like, spread the message. You know, when I go to school districts, I say, I don't want to put on a rock show. Two or three hours of my greatest hits. And then when you want me back on tour, you know, to play your venue, I'll come back. I want a relationship with you. I just want to teach, you know. Um, so that one. And then, again, Superman, Captain America, because they're, they're optimism instead in a time of pessimism. Um, and it's very, it's very, very easy to, you know, embrace that suck and buy into it, but they, they, they have their ideals. And it, it's funny because like, I, I tell you to talk to my students that there's a lot of religious allegories about Superman. It's that, um, in fact, there was a, a, a book was called once upon a time of fantasy. And it mm -hmm. talked about how, um, pop culture was influenced by, the tales of, uh, of old times of mythologies of, of biblical references. And somebody compared Superman to the story of Moses, um, which is interesting that, you know, somebody, you know, sent like, like Superman's, you know, family sent them space to go and, you know, serve, you know, his people and be a leader with that kind of like Moses, you know, sent him down to Nile Pharaoh and then, you know, freed his people and such. Um, yeah. So those are the three. Beautiful. I, I, I absolutely love that. You brought um, uh, superhero characters as influences. Um, I I have to say to add to that, um, in the latest uh, Marvel Universe movie where all the superheroes, uh, the one that influenced me the most was Hulk. When oh, yeah? at the end, right, he, uh, Dr. Hulk, he says that he was able to, to gather his anger and control mm -hmm. it. Right. I struggle all my life with that to controlling my emotions and he's able to do both. And definitely there's a lot of characters that although they are fiction, they are more real than many of the things that we actually uh, live by. You know, what's so, really funny that you say that I've been saying that to a lot of people like I get very emotional about stuff you know i don't know whether it's because of my upbringing i grew up in new york in new york we don't kind of just you know we, we're not the south where we go bless your heart and that's on that's not a, that's not a compliment or we're not like you know midwest where it's like you know okay very nice you know california where it's just like whatever man you know it, it west coast east coast is very like we're ready to fight okay we're ready to like we'll call it out and and it and and that's the thing and i and i have that But that line in the Avengers, you know, Dr. Banner, now it's time to get angry. Well, that's the problem. Um, that's the thing, Cap. I'm always angry. That's the thing. And I think that's also a way to, even with our students, how can we teach them to self-regulate that? Okay. How can mm -hmm. we realize you have these feelings? Okay. How can we teach you to say, you know, can you, can you control the Hulk? You know, I have a joke where if I lose my temper or something or I get upset with something, I go, crap, I got to go reset the days without incident, you know, uh, sign. 
you know, and it's easy. And, but I think that's the thing, you know, looking at those and what I try to do with it, you know, if I can give any kind of recommendations, like, you know, I'm like, okay, is this reality or is this my reaction? Okay. Number one, number two, this is how I'm feeling right now. All right. And when, when I talk to people, um, if I kind of get emotional or lose my cool with it, that's my trust in you because effort, I have to keep this kind of you know, thing where I'll work with, you know, somebody or I'll be professional with somebody. I'm like, hi, okay. I can be political. I can be, yeah, sure. And then I just, you know, like that. And, and if I release that, I, that's, I tell people, I said, that's my way of that. I trust you where I can be, have that emotion. I got to tell you the greatest thing, Efren, and I'm going to be real. There are administrators who drop F-bombs. Okay. And, I'll be in a professional meeting. I'm like, Maverick Education. Yeah, okay. Well, we should do this way. And the mission go, you know, F to F, 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 F. I'm like, all right, cool. Now I can be Eric Francis, you know? And I said, this relation, I mean, I'll shake hands with me. I go, we just took this relationship to a whole different level. I have had times where I go, so clearly I think we're understanding that I'm going to be working with you because I don't think you'd be talking to me this way if we're going to work together and I thank them for saying, cause people go, Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk like that. And I said, no, the fact that you can talk like that to me as an administrator, as a superintendent, as a principal, it means that you trust me enough to let down your guard. Okay. So if, if I ever worked with you in your school and you started dropping F bombs with me, I'm not going to say, Oh my gosh, you're, you're so unprofessional. I think I'm gonna be like, cool, man. We just took it to a different level. And to me, from more of a, um, you know, a, a personal thing or even like making about myself, which I don't want to, I am so grateful that you feel that trust with me where you can talk to me like that and be real. And that's the thing. So getting back to that Hulk thing, that is so ironic. And I really hope you and I continue this relationship because I think For sure. a lot of things, besides the fact that you got Chewbacca on your shirt, you know, <laughs> I got I got his Funko Pop right over there. You Do know? you <laughs> see? Every, I got to keep the image. This is all my education books over here. Okay, I kind of pepper it when I got these tiles with my favorite band covers. That's Van Halen on this on the second shelf from the top. That's all Led Zeppelin. See, that's all my education books. Like, I'll if we zoom zoom in on it. You'll see Marzano. You'll see Wiggins and McTighe. You'll see Tomlinson. You'll see the classic. You'll see all the classic authors on there. You'll see my PLC books. You'll see my assessment books. See, but over there, those are my graphic novels. Okay, those are my albums I have over there, you know, and that's the thing. Those are my Funko Pops over there. I have on the top there the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. You see a couple here. There's Rocky and Apollo. There's a Luke Skywalker and there's Eddie Van Halen on my Funko. But that's the thing. You're real. Okay, you're real. If you're having emotions, that's real. Life, people become the Hulk. But again, that's the thing, Cap. I'm always angry. And he knew why he was angry. And he was able to take the brawn with the brain and put them together and become smart Hulk. But he knows every single day that he can go back. And I can't wait till he does because then we'll have World War Hulk as a Marvel movie. And that's going to be epic. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. So, Eric, this is such a, a great conversation. Um, what? How do you... I mean, I can't imagine um, being a keynote speaker and standing in front of the audience or 
or going to a school district and providing professional development. Psychologists call it imposter syndrome, that feeling that comes to all of us at some point and we might feel that we're not good enough, that uh, we're not as attractive enough or, or whatever. How do you address imposter syndrome? By showing them how good I am and letting them tell me how great I am. Okay. Now think about what I just said here. And actually that's something Walter Payton said something like that. And I thought I heard Dwayne Johnson kind of like twisted, but somehow I got that in my head somehow mm -hmm. show them how good you are and let them tell you how great you are. Um, it, it comes off as, as hopefully it comes off as a confidence Um, imposter syndrome, you know, I think that's a kind of a negative connotation to say that. And I think that's, you know, look, we all are not, we're good at what we do. Okay. Everybody is good at what they do, but let someone else tell you how great you are. And you got to go in and realize you're not going to reach everybody. Okay. Um, And you got to go in and you just got to basically um, kind of have the understanding, like, I'm going to share some things out there. Some people are going to like it. Some people are not. You know, it's kind of funny, Efren, because you say this is that that I actually did something in the keynote just recently. I was in Idaho and I said, um, I said, look, we're about 15 minutes in right now. And, and you, you have an impression of me right now. And look, I'm be honest. Some of you may not like me right now. Why? Because I remind you of your husband, because I remind you of your father, because I remind you of your brother, because I remind you of your boyfriend, because I remind you of your ex-husband, because I remind you of your ex-boyfriend, because I remind you of somebody that hurt you in your life, because I remind you of some celebrity you can't stand. Okay, um, what are you walking into this room in? Maybe you're just not here. You don't want to hear what I have to say. Maybe you got a speeding ticket on the way in. Maybe you got in a fight with someone in your family, your significant other. Maybe you're feeling lousy, okay? As a PD person, I have to realize that in my audience, okay? As a presenter, as a keynote presenter, as a workshop person, I got to go and realize that. The imposter syndrome is, is that... I'm good at what I do. I know what I know. I I know a lot, but I don't know it all. I think that's what I think that's what prevents me from being that imposter syndrome. Like, man, this is what I know, but I don't know everything. And I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to listen. You know, every time I do a presentation on questioning or DOK, I take that experience and say, what did I learn from it? If I came to your school and talked to you, Efren, you'd be like, maybe you maybe you'll be like, Beautiful, great, lovely. I will say, Efren, what was with that teacher over there? What's the story? Okay. Or, you know, I'll go and talk to that disruptive teacher because that's what happens sometimes in PD. You know, you got someone who's just like this, you know, it's when you do PD, it's not much different than being a classroom teacher. The only difference is the kid, the kids you're teaching are bigger and they're older. And if you give them that look when they're being disruptive, they can look at you like this. You can't. <laughs> And they have the power to tell the principal, I don't want that person to come back. Like mm -hmm. now I want you to think about that from our kids perspective. Because when I said to you that about who do I remind you of? And then everybody's looking at me in the audience, like, where are you going with this? And I said, 
What if that's the reason why your kids are acting the way you're acting? What if you remind them of their mother and they have a bad relationship with their mother? What if their mother abandoned them and they have issues with that? What if they've never had a male figure in their life and you're the first male figure that they have as a leader, that they've been raised, you know, in a single family, either by their mom or dad, and you're the first of that gender that they're encountering? What if you remind them of somebody who hurt them? You know, maybe that's why your kids are acting why you are. And that's what I do as a PD person. That gets me away from the imposter syndrome where, you know, I am grateful and blessed to be able to do what I do. But I also have to be honest with myself and say that, number one, I don't know everything. Number two, I'm always willing to learn and, and change. You know, there's a lot of things I've changed you know, about DOK and questioning. And that's why you see, when you see a book, that's your, that's your thinking at the time it was written. And then it comes out and you're like, oh, wait, my, my, my thinking has, has completely changed now, you know, because of your experiences. And number three, find out why your audience is acting the way they are and take it with a sense of honesty, but look at it this way. And somebody says, like somebody once said to me, you know, I'm arrogant. And I said, why am I arrogant? And they told me what they felt. Well, that's their feeling. And if someone's going to say you're arrogant, that's their insecurity. Now, can I be arrogant? Yeah, when I feel insecure. When you talk about that imposter syndrome, if I'm coming off arrogant, that must mean I'm feeling insecure about something. Okay. But if someone calls you arrogant, that's their insecurity. Well, you think you know it all. No, I don't. I just know a lot. I don't know it all. Well, I already do this. Really? That's awesome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to your principal and I'm going to say, that's the person who needs to lead the initiative. You don't need me to come in. They're doing it already. No, 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 no. Please don't do that. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> that's the thing. Abraham Lincoln said a great thing. Am I not destroying my enemies by making them my friends? Mm -hmm. And that is probably one of the most powerful things. And that's what I try to do as a person. But at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, stick with if you're if you're rude during a presentation, I'll call you out. You know, if you if you are unprofessional and Efren, I'm going to tell you straight and not really people talk about this and I'm going to have a podcast and I'm going to ask people like, hey, what was one of the worst things you had as a presenter presenter and how'd you handle it? I have had some of the rudest people in my presentation. And, and I had to go, well, did I trigger something in them? You know, did I remind them somebody? Okay. At the same time, you don't have a right to be unprofessional and you don't have a right to be rude. And, you know, if you're being forced here, I'm sorry, that's not my fault. You know, I got called, you know, or when, when people say, when was the last time you're in the classroom? Oh no, my favorite one is this, is that, what do you know about teaching fill in the blank? I'll go like this to you. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I know how to teach a standard, which is what I'm here to do. Okay. So, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, just, just understand that. That's, I think, sometimes the imposter syndrome. You know what you know, but be honest about what you don't and be willing to learn. If someone's acting that way towards you, figure out why. Look at why, you know, and ask them, you know, so what is it? What can I do to help you? And if they're just going to be, lack of a better word, a jerk, call them out. 
you know, in the most professional way. I have done that. I have said my way of saying this, I go, so what would you do if you had a student who acted towards you the way you're acting towards me right now? And Efren, I have done this. I, I, they've gone like this. I, go, I wouldn't put up with that. I would just send them right to the office. Good. That's where <laughs> I'd like you to go during this professional development. I'd like you to go to the office. I have had administrators who have teachers and people are going to go like, how dare you? How dare you? But I'm going to tell you straight right now. You asked me about what it's like on the other side of the lens. It's hard because I'm coming in. You have me sometimes for two hours. And in that two hours, I have to completely change your philosophy and approach to education. And I always joke around saying after that, I'm going to look for a body of water and walk on the top of it. Okay. <laughs> you you came in. I have to be empathetic. People know how much we get paid. And here I have these teachers who are not getting, you know, are struggling, you know, to make ends meet. And I have to be sensitive to that. And I think that's, you know, getting back to that. That's how I get around the imposter syndrome is that, you know, Dave Schmidow wrote a great book with a great title called Bold Humility. And I think that's what, you know, I, when I read that book and cause I always wanted to put a word to it. And I said to him, I said, Dave, you put a word to the feelings that I'm trying to have with both humility. That's what I try to do. Now, some people may say, Hey, I've seen you present. I've seen you in action. You know, you're not really, you don't really do what you talk. Okay. Well, why, why am I acting that way? Okay. Maybe it's cause I love my thing that I do so bad so much that, that, that passion can be overwhelming. Um, Maybe I am feeling insecure. And when people feel insecure, that's when the arrogance comes out. Because arrogance comes from a place of security, insecurity. If you call me arrogant, that's on you. You know, that's your insecurity, not mine. So that's how I get past imposter syndrome. Know, know you know a lot. Know you're good what you do. But let them tell you how great you are. I mean, Everett, I can't tell you how many times I've had ministries say to me, well, that was wonderful. That was great. And I'm thinking in my head, go, really? That sucked. You know, I mean, and it sucked because of me. You know, like I didn't get through that one person or man, I could have done so much better, you know, or and because I'm my worst critic. And I think that's also what gets me about my posture syndrome, too, is like, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm great, you know, at everything I do. And there's times I present where people might if people tell me it's great. That's great. But I can tell you, like, I get evaluations where people will say, like, you know, he was this, he was that. And they're personally attacking, you know, or, or you know, it, it's it's like, you know, someone said, well, you you came off as a blank. I mean, I had someone say to me, well, somebody said you're a blank. And I said, wow, that was professional. I can't <laughs> even think about saying that about someone who does that. And, and I think that sometimes we got to also kind of look at ourselves, you know, about how we're coming off with things. Um, you know, I just had worked with a school, you know, where somebody told me, I'm not going to say who, that they got their, mm -hmm. their principal evaluations. They had, they had teachers who say she should quit. They had <laughs> teachers say she needs to leave. She needs to go. Where's that social emotional learning when you do stuff like that? You know, where's that social emotional learning? Where is that empathy? Where is all that stuff we call for when you're doing stuff like that? Well, it's not me. Yeah, well, someone on your staff is. Well, that's why we need social emotional learning. Absolutely right. But we got to practice what we preach too. Amen. Like the, what a masterclass this has been. Let, let's let's transition then to the productivity. And the, my first question is, Eric, why Maverick Education? The name or just or the company? 
the name, the company, uh, what, what, that behind the scenes before we see the professional development, like tell us about constructing that idea that came into fruition. Well, I didn't want to call it Eric Francis Consulting because then it becomes me. Okay, I wanted to give like an, an create an entity and, and that identity with it. Um, the original thing was going to be called uh, Prometheus Education. And that's always what I wanted to do as a film producer. I always wanted a, a film company called Prometheus Pictures. And you want to talk about arrogance and talk about high inflated ego. You know, Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to the people. Okay, in, mm. in the Greek mythology. Um, and then I was work sitting in my my uh, my my uh, cubicle because that's what they gave you at aid at the Department of Education, coming up with names. Um, one of my favorite movies is Top Gun. So so it's funny because I say Maverick Education, everyone goes, "Uh huh, you jumped on the, the Top Gun Maverick chain." I'm like, "No, when he jumped the couch, I never jumped off the train, guys." I mean, I was always in <laughs> Tom Cruise. Yeah. And and at the time, um, John McCain. Senator out here, he was known as the Maverick. Um, and so that was sticking in my head. And one of my coworkers said, you know, well, why don't you call yourself, you know, call the company Maverick Education. And I played with it. And then I dropped the C because I spelled my name E-R-I-K. And the first three letters, M-A-V, are the name of my daughters, Amanda, Madison, Avery. So I got to be able to incorporate that. So Maverick Education came out. Um the the why behind Maverick Education or the you know the how behind it is that I'm a one person entity. Um, I don't have an assistant. Um, I don't have people presenting you know what I do. Um, and really, it's again that mindset I told you. You wake up every morning. You don't have a job. Okay, you got either to get a job, work the job you have, or create a job and convince people to have them work with you. Um, that That's the thing that kind of really keeps it going. That's the thing behind Maverick Education. Um, you also have to have a really strong financial plan. Um, I recommend, here's another uh, thing, um, nonfiction. I recommend reading Dave Ramsey's books. Okay. Um, Dave Ramsey, I, I got out of debt, tremendous debt, starting my own business because Dave Ramsey says, if you have credit, you shouldn't have a savings. Okay. Mm. You need to take your money and pay off your savings. So Efren, you're working at a district and you consult on the side. Um, I would recommend taking that money and paying off whatever debt you have. Getting to a certain point in your bank account where you have this. So what my whole thing was I want to get it to a certain amount. And then I got to a certain amount and said, okay, now I can pay off this debt. And then I paid it off. I still had some money in my account. And instead of saying, okay, now I got free money. No, I don't. I have debt. So now I'm paying what I paid on that other debt I just paid off. I'm paying it against the interest. I'm paying that down. Okay. So now the, the, uh, you know, the, the total is going down. Okay. I'm at a point now where I have this money. Now I can pay off that. Okay. Well, no, you still got that credit. Not that you have free money, you know, available pay off, that other debt and get it. I got out of debt by going into my own business. And that's the other thing about it. Um, save your money. If your phone to just in case your phone stops ringing for, they say six months. I like to say eight. Okay. Mm. When the pandemic hit, all of us who do professional development, we all got torpedoed. 
I mean, if you had, if you were a tech ed tech uh, consultant or professional development provider, oh my gosh, you became like hugely successful. Okay. Nobody wanted PD on questioning or depth of knowledge. Everyone wanted to know how you turn on a computer. What's this thing called the internet? And then, <laughs> And then it became about, okay, we want to focus on the academic rigor. We want to focus on the social emotional support. So I got torpedoed, but luckily I saved enough money. So if my phone stopped ringing for a certain amount of time, I was okay. A lot of people I know, they, they went to serious debt. Wow. So, wow. That, that's such a great advice. Something that usually people don't talk about is like how to address your, your finances. Uh, so being a, a one-man show uh, it entails for sure a lot of organization that we don't get to see. So what should we know about how you plan your week, your, 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 your events, your scheduling, your calendar? What should, we, what should we learn? Wake up, get to work, take a break around 10 or 11 o'clock, go work out, and then be done with your day. But how do you do your calendar? You use Google Calendar? Do you use? Uh, well, I use my iCal. Your iCal, okay. And 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 any tips that you? Uh, any suggestions? And I mean, this seems like very um, like everybody knows, but you'd be surprised. A lot of people don't know how to truly organize themselves. Any advice we should have in in organizing yourself, or any lessons you have learned? I think pace yourself more than organize yourself. Don't burn yourself out. That's the big thing. I think that's the big thing is that you got to pace yourself. You got to pace your time. You got to take time away. You know, can't work 24 hours. That's yeah. the big thing. I mean, I'm not a very organized person. I'm going to admit that to you. I'm not a very, you know, like chaos is my order. Okay. And really, it's just like I wake up, I wake up at five in the morning. Um, And I call it West Coast stockbroker hours because they wake up and they go to work when uh, the bell rings at Wall Street, which is around eight, nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. And you go work from eight to five to about 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock. Then I'll go take a lunch break. Then I'll go check my brain. I'll maybe like, you know, binge watch a show, you know, an episode or I'll go work out or something. Then you come back and then you get to work with it. Um, pace your day. Like I start my day off writing my books, writing my next book producing a PD around 10 o'clock, I stop writing and then I go get lunch or I go and, and do some things or, you know, sometimes maybe earlier if I know schools are open or such like that, make time for lunch, make time to work out. That's a big thing. You got to be not just healthy in mind. You got to be healthy at heart. Okay. Um, but you know, then you go back, you know, in the afternoon, you can go and do stuff. I mean, put in, I put in about eight, probably about, eight to 12 hours a day, including weekends. And what you got to understand, I mean, there's some people who say, you know, I'm not going to work on the weekends. I'm not going to, you know, you got your own business. There's no days off. You know, there's no days off. I mean, and you got to be willing. And if you show people you're willing, you'll get all the work. Okay. Um, I worked with a group in Singapore. And they want me to do virtual presentations now. I have to wake up two in the morning to do those because it's day over there, but it's like two in the morning here. They once scheduled me on, um, what was it? Um, Wednesday of Thanksgiving Eve. 
And I had to wake up two in the morning and do a PD on Thanksgiving Eve. I go, you know, it's Thanksgiving Eve here. And they go, yeah, we know, you know, we don't celebrate that over here in Singapore. <laughs> yeah. Touche. All right. There you go. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing you have to understand. There's no days off, but at the same time, you, you can't be so again, remember I told you that thing, like you got to be able to take off the mask. You know, and that's the thing, Efren. That's that's why I worry about sometimes some people who do what we do because I, they they put their life on social media so much. You know, it's like you know, I'm drinking my coffee, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, hmm, what's going? You know, it's like, and I'm not making fun of. I'm just making fun light, and I'm yeah. being satirical because satire is about changing behavior using changing behavior using humor. You got to turn it off, man. And and you got to also be sensitive. And look, Efren, there's a lot of us who make a lot of money doing what we do. And one of the things that I try to do and, you know, and we're connected on social media is I try not to show like the, you know, the rewards of what I have. OK, like I don't show my house. I don't show that I got a certain type of car or something like that, because you got to be sensitive to your audience. You know, and yeah. so when I see people like, oh, I'm here and i'm like doing a pd and i'm the i'm i've done it too you know a pd in hawaii or a pd in in whatever you got to be kind of sensitive because you got that person who's sitting you know in in freezing cold you know rural whatever or or inner city whatever and there you are you're doing pd for them you're doing that and like oh look at the wealth of it i used to have even have a problem when i um i used to travel place for pd i used to feel very very sensitive about taking advantage of where I was because I was there to work. I didn't want to like go and take advantage of the fact that I'm at this thing. And I got to tell you, and I'm, I'm going to be extremely honest with you. When I see sometimes people who do what we do and they're up there and they're showing, look at these Nikes I got. And it's really expensive. And it's like, how do you think that teacher feels who's making $30,000, $35,000 a year driving Uber at night or working in a restaurant or, or you know, working two or three jobs to get ahead? And you're coming to their school district and telling them, you know, uh, you, you got to be better for kids. You got to do better for kids. You know, you know, every day. I mean, and they're in the classroom every single day. We're not. And then we're, you know, we get paid a tremendous amount of money sometimes to come. And then we're online going, wow, look. I got these Nike sneakers. Wow. Look, I got floor seats to this, you know, basketball game or I got, um, you know, a, um, you know, a, a, uh, uh, what they call it, the booth or, uh, you know, the load seating for when I go see football, you gotta be really sensitive about that. And, 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 and that's the thing about, you know, when you talk about with time and I know I kind of did everything, but I think that's the thing is that, you got to pace yourself, but you also got to be also be real. Get off social media. You know, you don't have to document every moment of your day, you know, and and there was an old Sunday Night Live skit. And, and I, I'm going to go find it where the, these high school kids, they were trying to do these profound things. And they go, uh, they joke around, they go, I just got to Starbucks. Like, 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 like. <laughs> I, I just I just bought a new shirt. Like, 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 I'm going to the zoo. Like, like, like. And that's what we're becoming as he's presented. And I'm sitting there going like, what are you doing? You know, why? I mean, I don't want to brag. I mean, it's funny when people come out and visit me, they go, oh, wow, you got this. You have. I'm like, 
Yeah. You know, it's like, why? Because it was a necessity. But, you know, it's not like, don't show your opulence. I mean, if you have friends, that's what Facebook's for, for friends. Mm -hmm. Show it with your friends. But if you got a public thing like, you know, Instagram or Twitter and you're bragging about, oh, look at the workouts I'm doing or and, and I'm not calling out anyone in particular. But if you know who you are, if you think I'm talking about you, then maybe I am. But and, and I'm going to say this, Efren, because it's got to be sensitive about it. You got to be sensitive because you're ma you're making a lot more than a teacher does. OK. And they know it. And sometimes there's that resentment because you come in and they're like, hey, I'm making this amount of money. And I know how much my district's paying you for to do that. And you show it off. That's really insensitive. I'm sorry. You know, that's really not being sensitive to your audience that, you know, you got to be humble. That bold humility that Dave Schmidt talks about, you know, and, and, and you said to me, how do I schedule my day? I'll tell you how I schedule my day. I don't put that. I had, you know, sushi today for my lunch after a hard day of working. Okay. That that's not the message I want to get out there. So I think that's the thing is that, you know, start start first thing in the morning. Give yourself some time to go and get lunch, go work out and everything. And get off social media. That's the big thing. That That's such a great advice. Uh, it took me a long time uh, to learn that recently I deleted social media from my phone mm -hmm. because I was finding myself uh, posting impulsively. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so unproductive. And now I feel that I can be present and have actual conversations with the people in front of me rather than being on the phone scrolling. Uh, what a great advice. The thing is this. I'm going to tell you straight. I'm going to be honest. I used to do it. I used to have a thing on Facebook. Up in the air. Okay. And part of it was because I had an elderly aunt who lived in Florida and she she monitored Facebook like a 15 year old girl. Even though she was <laughs> I mean, it was so much that with social media that my father was alive. She doubted that my aunt was actually doing stuff on social media. He thought it was her son doing it. who was younger. And she's like, you know what? You don't think I could do that? And we're like, no, because you do it like a 15 year old girl. Like she would take those tests on Facebook and go, I came out as a genius. Yeah. And you also got your identity stolen. So I would do stuff like that. And I would say up in the air, because that's what the life was like with that movie with George Clooney up in the air. Yeah. I'm going to tell you straight right now. It got to the point where I was bragging. There are times when I share on Facebook, like my book is ranked like this on Amazon. Is it a business promotion thing? Yes. Do I also know I'm kind of bragging? I kind of want people to wear to say, Oh, by the way, I am relevant or something like that. Yeah. I really think social media has done, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the, the benefits and the consequences of it. I really think when it comes to education, there's some educators who are like, oh, you got to get on Facebook. You got to get on Twitter. You got to get on Instagram. I think it loses our credibility. You know, I, I think it loses kind of like who we are as a person. It's kind of like even news reporters. Like, I want you to report my news. I don't want you to be the news. I don't care if you got your hair dyed. OK, I understand that we live in a society like that a little bit right now, but not every single day. Part of your day is on social media. And when I see us educators, you know, those of us who are presenters and we really do things where it doesn't become about sharing, it becomes about showing off. And yeah, you may have a lot of people 
who like, 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 like. But are you, are people respecting you? And that's the thing you asked me about. I don't, you know, someone said, is it better to be loved or is it better to be feared? Or is it better to be loved or better to be hated? I'd rather be respected. And I think social media, and there's some people who really push it that they'll even tell us as authors, you got to get on social media. You got to have this thing. And I do stuff on Twitter. That's where Maverick Education is. That's what I like to say. My Maverick Education is Twitter. But I take off the mask on Facebook. And if you're my friend on Facebook, I'm inviting you in to trust you. And on Facebook, I get to be who I am. And I may say something sometimes that will kind of raise your eyebrows and make you go, oh, or, or even piss you off. But I'm inviting you in like that Hulk analogy to say, you're my friend. Don't use that against me. And I've had people use that against me professionally. Sure. And I'm like, I trusted you to be in here. I thought you accepted me as a person, not as this face. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've been called out sometimes where like, wow, you, you really called out so-and-so or people say, were you talking about me? I'm like, well, I wasn't directly referencing you, but if you feel like I'm talking about you, maybe you need to look inside yourself. And even right now in this conversation effort, and I hope I'm not being unprofessional. I'm trying to be honest. Not at all. Yeah. That I really think a lot of us who are professional education specialists, presenters, we really need to be sensitive about this thing. I can tell you right now, there are a lot of people who are getting turned off by the people you see who are doing this, that they're like, what the heck? You know, I mean, you don't see, you know, Jake McTighe posting his workout videos. Okay. You don't see that Robert Marzano is, you know, sitting courtside um, at, at a basketball game. You don't see, you know, um, Carolyn Tomlinson or even Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry, all like the people who are really like these respected, valued people in education you know, pandering it to where like, look, I woke up in the morning, like, 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 I just had breakfast, like, 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 it was a bagel, like, 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 I had salmon on it, like, 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 and I'm wearing these $150 Nikes while I'm doing it, like, 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 we need to really be real and we need to really look at what we're doing. And, and if you look at, and when you say to me, who are the people I admire, so I admire those educators who are not becoming brand ambassadors. I admire the ones who are educators, who are doing the work, who are serving the work, and they look at really, because as teachers, as educators, what we do is a service. And at some point, and I had to do this, are you serving yourself or are you serving others? Boom. Boom. That's, that's <laughs> awesome advice. Thank you so much. Uh, let me ask you uh, a couple of more questions. I know I'm over, over taking your time. Uh, when you sit down to to design and write your professional development and or write your books, what happens behind the scenes? Do you put music? Do you uh, um, do some sort of a routine before you start uh, actually doing the work? Uh, what should we know? I always want to try to make it fun and approachable. You know, I look at presenting, it's like a spectrum, you know, and it's funny, some people that don't, who kind of pushed my book and my work, they don't like it. At one end, you got the professor. And at the other end, you got the pro wrestler. The professor is the academic and quote the research and that, and the pro wrestler is good with the stick and can make the offs. You got to figure out how you can be in the middle. I like to say that I can quote the research like Robert Marzano, but I can lay the smack down like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And you got to find the middle of it. All right. That also makes you approachable. When I write, 
Um, I do a lot of stream of consciousness when I write, which is not great. Um, it's not an easy process. Writing is not writing is like it's it's a labor of love. And, you know, you write something and then, you know, it's just like, it's kind of like with even my presentations, like I don't come in with a script and it's funny because schools will say to me, well, what's you, can I have a printed copy of your agenda? And I'll say, no. And I go, why? I go, cause I don't know what I'm going to do from one minute to the next. I know where I'm going to start. I know where I'm going to end, but where I go with it depends upon my audience. So when I write, I have the idea, I flesh out the title of the chapters, they change, they they meld, they combine, you know, it's hard because the publishing companies I publish for, they want research and citations. It's not, you know, manifesto. It's not, you know, mission statements. It's not, um, it's, it's research, but it's not like your term paper or like your doctorate. Um, so I have to take a lot of time doing that, you know, pulling the names. Another thing I do is this, is that if there's somebody I know who's a colleague of mine, I want to highlight their work and how I can show their work relates to what I do. Maybe that whole collaboration thing. So I'll call up, like I'll call up, you know, colleagues and friends of mine and say, hey, I'm writing about this. Your specialty area is literacy or your specialty area is gifted and talented. How can I incorporate this, your, your research into my book, you know, and show how it can be applied to this? It's not stealing or taking. It's it's, it's basically recognizing. So, um, with the presentations, that's a lot because, you know, I like to say that I try to produce presentations like a George Lucas, Jim Cameron movie, mm -hmm. um, with a lot of animations. Um, I try to throw some personality into it. I try to make it, you know, funny, kind of like, Oh my gosh, did he just make that reference? Like with a DOK wheel, I have a thing where I explain why the DOK wheel is inaccurate, which it is. And I tell the story and then I show a clip from friends where Joey goes, you got bamboozled. And Chandler goes, no. And that's why I tell them what happened with the DOK wheel. Or I'll show that um, the DOK wheel was actually derived from the Bloom's Hot Wheel. And I said, so now you know this. So that's why at the end of this presentation, I'm hoping we do this. Talk about Marvel. I bring in a clip where Tony Stark snaps his, his fingers with the Infinity Gauntlet and the DOK wheel disappears. And I said, we're going to snap that thing out of existence. We're going to put on our fitting gauntlets and snap that thing out of existence. And really a lot of it. So producing it is a lot of time. Um, if I showed you my, my files here, it's a diary of a madman. I have presentations and it names every different place I presented at over the last 11 years. Because I never do this. I might use the same slides, but I never do the same presentation more than once. Um, same gist, but because what you also want to do and you want a new secret with it, you don't want it to give you like, OK, I already seen that, you know, you you want it to be where because there's sometimes you go see like a keynote or presenter and you can time it. I mean, I do sometimes some things with some people I know a keynote. I go, OK, we're at the 25 minute mark. Here comes this video. And people go, what? I go, OK, we're at the 37 minute mark. Here comes the tear that comes out of our eye. Oh my God. You know, it's like, how do you know? Cause you've seen it once. You don't see it again. What I try to do is even like when I do like a day, like a summit, or I have the same session multiple times, I'll put a little bit of a twist on it and I'll do something I didn't do in the other presentation. And then, so, so when they get together, they say, Hey, Eric Francis showed us this. Well, Eric Francis told us that he didn't show us that well, wait, wait, Eric Francis showed us that he didn't show any of us that then I'll go to you. Efren. We got to get Eric so he could see everything that, you know, like, and that's also kind of a trick with it. So, and you're pre presenting, don't ever present from a script. Like, I always like to say, like, 
people say, what's your presenting style like? It's like Robin Williams. You know, it's mm. very it's kind of like the way I'm talking to you right now. Like, you know, it's funny. Like my daughter, we were listening to um, uh, the Quentin Tarantino audiobook about film. And she says, dad, when Quentin Tarantino talks about film, that's how you talk about education, you know, with that passion mm. and reverence. So that's kind of like my presidency style. It's like a Robin Williams thing. Because Robin Williams, you ever seen him in concert? He knows what the joke he's going to tell. He knows where he's going to go, but he does not know how he's going to get there. And then, you know, he'll throw it out there and do something and just like, you know, he'll never do the same thing twice unless it work or he'll throw something out there and say, oh, okay, let me try this. And same with Quentin Tarantino. When you hear him talk about movies, the passion of it, you kind of sit there and you're like, wow, this guy's really, really strangely passionate about it. But it's like, wow, he's passionate about it. You know, you can tell he really loves what he does. So that's the thing. Um, when it comes to a book, because a lot of people, I was just at a uh, speaking and learning forward about this, um, about publishing a book. And somebody said to me, you know, well, I want to write about this, but everybody's already written about that. And I said, well, what are they not said in these books? And they went like this. Ah, I go, that's your book. Okay. So when you read those books and you go, ah, I really wish they went there. That's your book. Okay. Right. A lot of people wrote a book on questioning. What was not out there? Wow, they're really not. That's my book. I'm writing a book on my. I'm writing a book on inquiry right now. There's a lot of books out there. Okay, what are these books? What What are these inquiry books like? There's re, most of it is a very very abstract, um, social emotional. I like to say sometimes some of the books are like um, Doug Henning from the Magic Show. If you remember him, like magic is a wonderful thing. Inquiry is a wonderful thing. And if you do this thing with inquiry, it will be a wonderful thing for your kids. And I'm trying to write something where it's like, okay, so let's talk about the intentional planning and the relationship of inquiry and questioning. You know, there's a lot of great books out there that say this will get you into an inquiry activity or this is a great inquiry strategy. But what I'm trying to write is a book that like, okay, this is really what intentional inquiry is. The Socratic method, Socrates didn't have people in the Colosseum, have an inner circle and outer circle, assign people roles, roles. And, and and run it, manage. He used to just walk in and ask a question and let them banter about themselves. That's that's true inquiry. That's that's so so that's the thing. So if you got that book, Efren, and you're looking at it, like like what's the area you want to write about? You want to write a book? Uh, I would love to write something about emotional intelligence and school principles. Okay. There's a lot of things right now out there about SCI. There's a lot of things out there about emotional intelligence. A lot of things out there about school principles. What is it that they're lacking in those books? You don't have to tell me right now, but that feeling you have right now, that's your book. Okay. That's your book. Because that's the thing is that it's, it's very much like right now there there's, there's, there's so much flooding the market about certain topics that um, people it's, it's oversaturating. Like I like to compare it. The whole transition that went from academic rigor to SEL was like when 80 heavy metal bands, 80s heavy metal bands got overtaken by grunge. Okay. Mm. So you had these people come in with this new form of music and this new look. All right. And so all the 80 heavy metals bands, they washed the gunk out of their hair. They changed their clothes from spandex and tight, bright shorts and tight, bright, tight, bright pants to flannel and baggy jeans. And they all went from, yeah to yeah you know and and then what happened was was that what was alternative or what was different became mainstream 
you know, when, when all of a sudden you couldn't tell the difference between, you know, um, this band, that band, or that band, or when JC Penny's selling your grunge wear, you know, that's kind of what happens a little bit with it. My suggestion recommendation to everyone right now is don't follow the trend, put a different spin on it and basically try to bring back what is out there in a new way. So like, if you think about it, um, when grunge, the, the response to grunge music, I like trying to make a lot of music now. The response to grunge music was the Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera, which was a concept that was 80s pop music, which before that was a concept that was 60s Motown. Okay. Mm. But it came back with a different spin. All right. You saw in the 2000s, more, more, more bands that were paying homage to ACDC, paying homage to Led Zeppelin, paying homage to classic rock. And they were, you had bands like Jet or you had bands like Wolf Mother that came out. Right now, I'm going to say right now, this is a prediction. There's a return to rigor right now. Okay. And there's a lot of things that when something becomes too popular, people start to get critical of it. And people, unfortunately, are becoming critical of SEO. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair. It's not right. But it's how we're presenting SEL. It's how we're, you know, putting out there the message of SEL is that people there, there's going to become a return to rigor. But I don't think we should return to rigor. I think we need to redefine rigor. That's what I'm actually trying to do in my work. Like I have a thing now I'm calling redefine rigor with depth of knowledge. Um, mm. and, and it's trying to explain what does that mean? Um, and breaking that traditional mode because rigor traditionally means hard. And if I'm basically like, you're sounding like professor Snape or the teacher in pink Floyd's another brick in the wall, you can't eat your pudding. If you don't eat your meat, you know? And then we said about rigor, we went to this traditional method where is it about the content or is it about the cognition? It's not, it's about the context. So what I'm trying to do now is saying there's a return to rigor and I'm seeing a lot of schools dust off their DOK wheels. I had a school. I heard somebody say, we're going to teach math like it's 2018, <laughs> but it's not, you know, I mean, <laughs> like it's not 2018, it's 20. And, and that's the thing is that be creative moving forward. Okay. Be creative moving forward. Say we're going back to this. Rick Worm, Rick Wormelli does a great job with this, the way he does things with differentiation. He once said in a presentation, he's very big influence on me. He said, the pendulum swings this way, the pendulum swings this way, and now it's swinging both ways. We need to kind of go like this and just go, here it is. So I know we're coming to the end, but I want to basically give kind of some things before we leave. Yes. To change your mindset for next year. Okay. I want you to ask yourself this. With your learning targets, are you hitting the target, but are you hitting the bullseye? Okay. And I do this thing where I, I do this thing with archery, where I, when I deconstruct standards for depth of knowledge, I make the cognition column red, the content column blue, and the context column yellow. And those are the colors of archery. Because if you look mm -hmm. at an archery target, you got blue, red, yellow is the bullseye. Okay. So what's the blue? That's the stuff. So if you look at your standards, you look at all the content words in your standards, you write that in the blue column. Then you say, okay, what do the kids have to do? Those are all your verbs. 
So you'll see like maybe there's more than one verb. That means there's two objectives they have to achieve. Or maybe there's one verb. But what do they got to do with all that other stuff? Well, you got to attach verbs to that. But what exactly and how deeply they have to do it? So I'll give you an example. If I had to fluently multiply multi-digit numbers using a standard algorithm, if you deconstruct that with the stuff, you have whole numbers, standard algorithm, standard algorithm, multi-digit, multi-digit, and even multiplication because it says multiply. So that's my stuff. That's where we live as teachers. We know our stuff. What do the kids have to do? Multiply what? Whole numbers. What do they have to use? Standard algorithm. But what do I got to do with all that other stuff? Well, I got to define, describe what that stuff is. But what exactly am I multiplying? Whole numbers, multi-digit fluently. What if mm. I said that's what it means to demonstrate proficiency? Use standard algorithm. Now, the standard's changing from the to a. That means more than one. But then you got to define, describe what those terms are. So that's what I mean by are, we're hitting the target, but are we hitting a bullseye? Here's the other thing I want to leave everybody with. Next year, none of your kids are grade level. I'll tell you right now, none of your kids are grade level. Do you have the same kids next year? you have the same kids next year that they were? Were they in? They, so if you teach a sixth grade, okay, were those kids that are coming into your class, were they sixth graders last year? No. Then they're not at grade level. You need to figure out how far they are from grade level. What determines grade level? The academic standard. This is what it means to demonstrate proficiency in math using ratios and rate, rate reasoning. Okay. How far are your students from that standard? Can they do, do they know what ratios are? No. Do they know what rate reasoning is? No. Do they know what fractions are? Yes. Okay, good. Let's start there. You know how fractions are part of a whole? Yes. That's the same thing as ratios. Oh, okay. So a ratio is a fraction. See how I do that? That's how we're going to combat this thing called learning loss. Okay. Yeah. We all say the kids have learning loss. Well, what'd they lose? Well, I don't know. They can't multiply. Well, what is it exactly they can't do with multiplication? They don't know their times table facts. Okay, great. They know two times three is six. Do they know why? Because if I know why two times three is six, because I added three to itself two times or two to itself three times, I could tell you what 542 times 398 is. You know what it is? 542 added to itself 398 times or 398 added to itself 542 times. Well, I need an answer. Okay, well, there's eight different ways to do that. Which way works best for you and why? So my two messages is this. Number one, we're hitting the target, but are you hitting the bullseye? And number two, none of your kids are at grade level next year, and that's okay. Use the standard to find out how far they are find their strengths and build on them so they can rise to reach and go beyond that bar. Wow. I never saw it that way. Find out where, where the student is missing in the terms of the standard and go from there. It, it's uh, such a simple thing. And it's so wow. funny. I do this with adults. I say, here's a high school standard. I go, and I did this with a, with a group of kids. This one this objective said, explain why a non-zero rational number and product of a non-zero rational number and irrational number is irrational. So explain why the product of a non-zero number, rational number, and irrational number is irrational. It's a lot of stuff going on there. You're like right now going, huh? I go, how many of you guys can do that? None. Okay. Do you know what a rational number is? No. Do you know what an irrational number is? No. Do you know what irrational means? No. Do you know what rational means? No. Okay. Do you know what a non-zero number is? Yeah. Five. Awesome. Great example. DOK2. But what is a non-zero number? It's any number that's not zero. 
Okay, good. Let's start there. Now I just cheered at the kindergarten from high school. Was an example? Five. What can I do with five? Well, you can add it. Okay, properties of operations. And what else? You can count to five. Okay, good. And get a concrete number and just stop. Can you uh, measure five? Yes. Can you find a number line? Yes. So here's your basic rule. Okay, now everyone think of your number that's not zero. What if I put a negative sign in front of it? Would it still be rational or not? Does it meet the four simple rules? Yeah. So what do we know about national numbers? They, they, they're, they're ra- negative numbers. They're rational. So rational must means what? It makes sense. So what does irrational mean? Doesn't make sense. Okay. What's the number that doesn't make sense? Fractions. Okay. Now I got to tear it back down to third grade. What's a fraction? Part of a whole. You take the denominator. It's a, also a division problem. You take the denominator, you divide it into numerator. If I have one half, I divide two into one. What do I get? 0.5. Does there any numbers after that? No, that's a terminal decimal. When you see that, I want you to think of Terminator, okay? Have you ever heard of the Motley Crue decimal? No. If I take two-thirds and I divide three into two, I should call it Iron Maiden. You get 0.6666. That's a repeating decimal. Terminal and repeating decimals are rational numbers. Have you ever seen 3.1426? And I go, yeah. I go, what's that? That's pi. That's irrational. That's the Buzz Lightyear because the numbers keep on going, different numbers to infinity and beyond. So, Efren, if I said to you, what is three-fourths times pi? You would say the product is irrational. And you say, and I say, why? They say, because pi is irrational. And a non-zero rational number times an irrational number is irrational. And I say to the kids, wow, five minutes ago, you guys couldn't do that. And they're like, hmm. they do a Keanu. Whoa. <laughs> I, 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 again, this has been a master class. Uh, find out where, what part of the standard the student is missing. What, what a great uh, point of discussion to start the conversation on how to improve what's the uh, learning, learning acquisition. Absolutely. Right. What's the and teachers will understand it because when, especially that standard that says about theme, well, I taught them theme. Well, did you teach them how to determine a theme? No, I taught them what the theme of the story of the book was, was why. Okay, but did you teach them how to determine a theme? Well, yeah, I talked about a determinant. Did you teach about a determinant theme of one story, a story from details in the text, including how characters respond to challenges? And they'd say, no. Well, that's why I didn't achieve the standard. Mm. Simple, wow. simple trick. Simple trick. Unpack and unwrap your standards. Circle your verbs. Underline your nouns. Ainsworth method. Then I want you to take a highlighter and I want you to highlight everything that comes after that first verb until the period. That's depth of knowledge. We have to read your book. Uh, Eric, <laughs> where can people where can people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter, as you see there. It's at Maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K-E-D-U-1-2. Uh, no see Maverick again. My webpage is Maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, education.com. Um, if you go on there, you'll see there's a little chat bot. You can text me if you have questions. Um, you also can schedule some time if you want to do a one-on-one consultation with DOK. Because I know sometimes what I found is some school districts, either A, they can't afford to bring me in, or B, that's not our initiative right now. But if a teacher wants it, I'll do a one-on-one with them or do a group with them. Um, that's kind of how I do a, a, a pay-for-play coaching service. But if I am contracted with your district, what I do is this. I come out, I do the PD, and then from there, you get virtual coaching with me to follow up. So that's how I kind of RTI my PD where you have tier one, which is everybody tier two, which is small group and tier three, which is one-on-one. 
So, so go on there, check it out, schedule a time. Um, and, uh, yeah. So www.mavericheducation.com and Twitter at Maverick edu one, two and Efren, thank you so much for letting me take the time on a Saturday morning to just kind of ramble about stuff. And thank you for letting me talk. Oh, I feel I'm a better educator just by listening to you. Thank you so much, Eric. Have a fantastic Saturday. You too, buddy. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Epaim Martinez. Chulu. And I love that production. Chulu out.